How's everybody doing today? Seriously, I hear nothing. How are you all doing today? Yeah, good. So everybody's not, everybody is a 10, and that's, that's okay. So let's uh, stand uh, for the reading of, of God's Word. I know that's not what we typically do here, but, you know, I'm calling an audible, and it's okay. Here comes the Word of the Lord from 1 Peter chapter 2. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, and like newborn infants... Long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up to salvation, if indeed you have tasted the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone the builders has rejected has become the cornerstone and a stumbling rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Boy, that's happy words. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for preserving First Peter for us. Thank you for the journey that you shepherded Peter through so that he could come to write this encouraging word to us today. Open our ears, eyes, hearts, and minds to receive your word in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, you may be seated. So it is, it's, it's, it's good to be with you today. Um, again, I get to say that this is my home congregation, which is wonderful. It is wonderful to preach, but even more wonderful than preaching is the ability to just sit and just listen to Todd deliver the word. We have a very, very special blessing in the fact that the Lord gave us Todd Gwena because his sermons are really good and they are very encouraging. And so I am thankful that the Lord is using Todd's gospel-centered sermons to minister to me as well as my family each and every week. So with that said, let's talk a little bit about choices, the choices that we make, why we make them. We're going to talk about two things, kind of two illustrations, because I couldn't decide which one I wanted to use, so I decided, you know what, I just use them both. So in 19, I had the blessing, the blessing of being born in the Midwest, and the additional blessing of basically becoming a Cubs fan at an early age, which is great. I hear somebody laughing, and that's okay. You know, not all are called. Um, But being a Cub fan until 2016 was always about getting your hopes up and then having them dashed completely. So in 1998, I once again got my hopes up, Uh, because the Cubs were doing really well, but then there was something else going on at the same time. And some of you that are a little older will remember this, and that is that the Cubs had this outfielder named Sammy Sosa. And Sammy Sosa was just on a tear this year, that year. He was hitting home runs like they were going out of style. Unfortunately for Cub fans, uh, there was another guy who was doing the same thing, Mark McGuire. 
all year long, they were going back and forth between who could hit the most home runs. Sometimes they would hit three home runs in a game, which is amazing and awesome if you're watching baseball. Home runs are always better than strikeouts in perfect games because they're just entertaining to watch. So with about three days left in the season, Sammy Sosa crosses the line and he breaks a record that had stood for like 30 years by Roger Maris, who had hit 62 home runs. People thought, never going to happen, never going to ever fall. Sammy Sosa hit 66. Cubs clinch the division. But in the last two days, the last two days of the season, Roger, or, uh, Mark McGuire just goes on an insane tear and ends up with 70 home runs. It's a lot. Neither of them are in the Hall of Fame. In fact, they both fell off the list. You have to get a certain amount of votes to stay on the list for the Hall of Fame. Neither of them even were able to stay on the list the whole time. Two guys set records for the most home runs in the history of baseball in the same year, and both of them have hit over 600 home runs, and neither of them are in the Hall of Fame. How could that possibly be? Because they cheated. They took steroids. So hitting baseballs out of the stadium was easier. Bat speed was improved. And we see this in sports. But we never see it in things that are like not sports related, like politics, you never see this. Right? I mean, like, never see this ever. 50 years ago, a Republican president won in one of the largest landslides of electoral history. Richard Nixon won 49 states. The only state he didn't win was Massachusetts and their 17 electoral votes and the three electoral votes that kind of really, what it, you don't really count them uh, from D.C. because it's not a state, you know. Um, so Richard Nixon got 520, George McGovern got 17. It was a wipeout, one of the biggest electoral victories in history, which is not what Richard Nixon is remembered for, right? Kids, you can ask your parents, right? You would think being, being elected to president would be one of the greatest achievements of your entire life, and yet he's remembered for, I remember very clearly my mom calling me in from outside and sitting me in front of our console Zenith television set saying, watch this, it's going to be important. And Richard Nixon saying, I am resigning the presidency at noon today. Why? Because he cheated. Because he told people to break into the Watergate building in downtown Washington, D.C. to get him information he thought would help him win an election. He was already going to win in a landslide. Why would people like Richard Nixon and Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire and any countless number of famous people that we can think of make decisions that are going to literally wipe them out in order to achieve something that they want? Why? Same reason we do it because we are motivated to pursue honor and to avoid shame.
That's what basically motivates us to do most of the things that we do. To pursue honor and to avoid shame. And fortunately for us, this is a sin that is common to man. Right? And Peter understands this. And so Peter is writing to this congregation in Asia Minor. And he's writing to them. He spent the entirety of chapter 1 of 1 Peter talking about their salvation. Here's, here's what Peter says about salvation that's so important to him. Right? These are people who have really no political agency. Nothing's going to get better for them anytime soon. And he tells them, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter is super excited about the salvation that they have. And he's not just thrilled about the idea that like, hey, you're saved, so good for you. But he's, he wants them to understand these people who are living as elect exiles in Asia Minor, that salvation does more than just transfer them from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, right? But it actually has implications for their daily life and the way that they live. That it creates a life of contrasts. Right, that the gospel, when received by us, creates for us a life of contrasts. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. The first contrast I want to look at is the contrast of our desires. So if you just look there uh, at uh, verse 1 of chapter 2, it says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander... Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. So, you've got choice here, right? And Peter knows this. Peter's like, okay, look, here's your choices. First of all, you could pursue worldly cravings. Like malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Now, you're probably thinking to yourself... Who pursues those? I mean, when you, if you were to go into a restaurant and say, hmm, what would you like to order today? Well, I'd like envy, malice, deceit, slander. Could I have those, please? Because they seem like they would work out awesome for me in the long run. So all of us right now are going, no one chooses those things. <laughs> have you guys, any, any of you ever looked at Instagram? <laughs> Instagram is all about envy, isn't it? Look at their body. Look at what they get to wear. Look at their haircut. Look at where they live. In the Wall Street Journal on Sunday, uh, we, there was an insert in Sunday's Wall Street Journal. And it was an insert for homes. Right? So I looked at it. And apparently the homes that the Wall Street Journal is catering to are somewhere between 2 and $25 million. So if you'd like a private view in Georgetown, you can have that view for million. Otherwise, you're just never going to have the privacy that you need. 
So who asks for malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander? Where in the world would those things be helpful? Anywhere? Anyone? Junior high? <laughs> Washington, D.C.? Where hypocrisy, envy, slander, malice actually are helpful. So if you just look at the data, why would anybody use feast on malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander? You want to know why? Because they work. They work. You can get ahead in certain situations, apparently, if you embrace some of these. The world testifies back to you that if you pursue these worldly cravings, it's not unlikely that the world will send you the message that that works. And you should continue to pursue it because look at how popular you are. Look at what's happening. Think of your ability to renegotiate your baseball contract if you hit 66 home runs. Who cares if you had to use deceit in the locker room to get it? You're going to be the president of the United States. It's worth breaking into the Watergate Hotel. You're going to be the president of the United States. Just think about that for a second. Think about the parts of our lives that are controlled by malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Which is why Peter says, yeah, don't crave those things. Crave the pure spiritual milk. So a couple things that are important here. First of all, spiritual does not mean not real. Okay? Spiritual does not mean not real. Spiritual means real, just not generated by this world. Okay? So when we think and we hear spiritual, you should never hear it's not a real thing. It is a real thing. And, and Peter says, listen, here's what I want for you. Long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. And what's he talking about? Well, clearly and certainly he's talking about the word of God. Long for the pure spiritual milk of the word of God. Where truth resides. Where you wonder, how should I treat my neighbor as myself? Oh, I could go here instead of Instagram. ...to learn how to treat my neighbor as myself. How do, how do I love the poor? I could go to scripture to find out... ...instead of some online blog. That this is where pure spiritual milk is... ...but I don't think that in Peter's mind that's all that it is. I think it's this. It's, it's the preaching of the word... It's being together in community. It's opening up your lives to other people who care about you and love you and are willing to speak truth into your life because they care about you. Because sometimes we can't see the road ahead of us and other people can, which is why they say to us when we're, say, five years old, hey, your third bowl of Captain Crunch cereal probably not good for you in the long run. And you're like, but I love it. Your parents are like, yeah, I know, but you're going to want to probably eat some healthy food too. 
It is the word. It is sacraments. It is, it is the community of God's people. And he asks them, he says, if you want to grow up into salvation, by this he simply means not that you slowly are progressing and then eventually you'll, you'll oh, now I'm in the, in the salvation line. He's saying, no, if you've tasted that the Lord is good, if you've become saved, if you've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, then crave this pure spiritual milk so that you can grow up into your salvation. I went to school at the University of Iowa, uh, as a couple other people did here too. Raise your hand, Chris. There you go, right? Winner right there. So if you want to know about why Iowa's awesome, either of us are going to be very helpful to you. But at the University of Iowa, where I, I lived in Slater, which is also where Chris Olderog lived, we shared our dorm with football players. And we ate at a place called the Hillcrest Dining Hall, where the football players didn't always eat because they had a special dining table, right? It was called the training table. And they got food that we didn't get. Their food was not unicolored, right? <laughs> Their food was really good. Because they had the University of Iowa sports nutritionist picking out their meals. Because even though they'd gotten scholarships to come and play at the University of Iowa, and they were good in high school football, the trainers knew that they were going to need more to compete at the college level. And so they wanted to manage their diet and make sure they were taking in things that can help them so they weren't just eating Twinkies and playing Xbox. So this matters. The diet matters because Captain Crunch are awesome and grape nuts taste like gravel. <laughs> but, but grape nuts are actually, actually good for you. So this calls for an assessment of our cravings. Right? Not an assessment of other people's cravings. That's easy to do. I'm calling us to make an assessment of our cravings. What are you feasting on? Is it malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander? And if the answer is yes, you are not alone. The thing to remember here is that Peter, like Paul, are writing to Christian people largely. And the only reason that you say to Christian people... Put away malice and deceit and hypocrisy, envy and slander is because they haven't done it yet. Because they're struggling with it. Because they're sinning by engaging in it. Because they are a new creation, but they are not then perfected yet. So when Paul talks about the sins of the flesh, and Peter talks about them, it's because they know that these are things that we have to address. Because what people are taking in matters. And so we have to make an assessment of, of what we're taking in. And then if we realize, oh, I am feasting on the wrong things. I, I think I want to change. Do I want to change? I don't know. Maybe I don't. How do you get to that place? And that requires a contrast of our identity. A contrast of our identity. So this one, I want you to just kind of follow along here. I'm going to try not to lose anybody. Uh, here's what Peter says. He says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up into 
a spiritual house. So here's the second contrast. The first contrast was whether or not you're going to have worldly cravings or spiritual cravings, spiritual milk. And the second is a contrast of our identity. The first part of this is you have to ask yourself, what is being built? What is being built? Option one is your house, your stuff, your legacy, your agenda, your career, your family, your CV, your bona fides, your honor. And when we make that decision, when we think, okay, this is really about what I'm building, then we're going to make decisions about what we're going to take in that helps us build that, and we're going to end up back on this first list that was problematic. Kind of like Genesis chapter 11. We know this is the story of the Tower of Babel. Right? We know this is the place where all the languages came from. But you know what it really is? I mean, yeah, it has something to do with language, but it really has to do with whether or not people wanted to build their own thing or have God build something. Because it says that, you know, when, when, they, uh, when people are created, when mankind is created, he says, be fruitful and multiply. He tells them to fill the earth with the glory of God. And then they get to this area and they're like, you know what, this area is pretty boss. I kind of don't want to go anywhere else. We should totally stay here. This place is awesome. Let's build a tower up to the heavens because that'll be even more awesome. And the Lord says, eh, wrong. And down comes the tower and the people are scattered. The next chapter we have is Abram, which seems like a totally everything is disconnected from Genesis 11 and the Tower of Babel. But what does the Lord say to Abram? He tells them to go from his people to a place that I will show you and I will bless you and I will make you a great nation. So it went from, we're in charge, we're building something, we want a legacy, we're going to build a ziggurat, a pyramid up to the heavens, and we're going to be known for that, and we're not going anywhere, to God saying, yeah, that's not actually the plan. The plan is that I am building a spiritual house. Which brings us to the another, next part of this contrast, which is, who's doing the building? Either you're doing the building, we're doing the building, we're building our thing, or, and this is the perspective that is so hard, but it is the most critical one, you're not building anything. The Lord is building something. And this is what Peter tells to them. He said, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. So the first thing he's done is he said, listen, you try to build something, you want to build something of value? Your house, not going to last. 
the Lord's house is going to last. You want something of value? Spiritual house. Next issue. You want to be the builder? You want to drive it? Man, that is exhausting. Maybe it will never be enough. Maybe you will never be pretty enough. Maybe you will never be smart enough. Maybe you will never measure up enough. But boy, oh boy, you better keep trying. You better keep working on it. Maybe you'll get there eventually. If you have to sacrifice your wife and family to do that, then you better do it because I'm telling you, you're going to want a legacy. Your legacy. Peter's message is, listen, what the gospel offers you is a contrast. How about if instead of being the builder, you just focused on being the brick? Think about that for a second. That's what the gospel does. The gospel frees you up to be the brick. Which seems like, seriously? You're telling me I'm just a prick? Yeah. And isn't that amazing? And isn't it freeing in the gospel to know that you're not the builder in charge of building your own house? You're a brick in what God is doing. If you want value, if you want meaning, then relax. Be the brick. Be the brick. Think about how relaxing that is. Just a brick. But I'm not just a brick. I'm a brick in a spiritual house. The cornerstone of which is Christ. I am a brick in the cornerstone of a house. The cornerstone of which is Christ. That is better than anything I could possibly ever build myself. And more lasting. And requires less effort on my part. Which is wonderful because the gospel is so freeing. And think about, again, the people that Peter's writing to. These people don't have any political agency. They're seen as like probably part of the problem. They are completely out of sync with the Roman way. They are completely out of sync with the Jewish way. They just don't fit in anywhere. Except they're perfectly suited to be a brick in a spiritual house that the Lord is building. And if you're in junior high, college, or you're working, this just keeps working always. And you're trying to figure out what do I have to do to fit in? Remember this, you're a brick in a spiritual house that the Lord is building. And when that sinks in, the thing that you should think is, well, then I want to be a pretty good brick. I want to be the best brick I can be. I want to make sure that I'm, I'm strong enough to, to bear the weight of the building that's being built around me, and I'm certainly concerned about the strength of the brick next to me and the brick the strength of the brick over here, because if I go, like I need them to support me, right? So notice what he says here is that you are being built as a brick into a spiritual house and no house has one brick and one brick only. This, this tells us we can, we can think about our community and our own well-being and we should take our spiritual cravings seriously 
Because everyone around us matters. And that's not the only contrast we have. The final contrast I want to look at is this contrast of purpose. Here's what he says. You are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying a stone in Zion, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So honor is for those who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Peter's message is, here's your last contrast. You can pursue worldly honor, which is fleeting. Or you can embrace a new purpose. Offering spiritual sacrifices to the Lord. Westminster Confession of Faith says the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, which is exactly what the point Peter here is making. It's always good when our confession agrees with Scripture. And here's a place where it just agrees exactly that our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And Peter says, you want to have a purpose? How about if instead of trying to build your house, your way, and your legacy, and your stuff that's not going to last, how about if you focused on being a brick in a spiritual house and saw your purpose as offering spiritual sacrifices to God that are acceptable to Jesus Christ? And if you've ever worked in an office, or again, junior high school, it's amazing how much our lives really don't change, isn't it? And you've heard this from somebody you were trying to impress. That's that's not good enough. That's not acceptable. It's silly that you think that that's good enough. That's totally not. I refuse to accept that as worthy of me. God never says that to us. Our sacrifices as part of the spiritual house are acceptable to God because of Jesus Christ, not because of what we've done. That's the blessing and beauty of the gospel. Your work is a brick of worshiping God in all that you do, not just here, but in your vocations. In school, when you're you're showing a neighbor love who's been mean to you. All of this is part of offering sacrifices. It's why in the book of Leviticus, there's this big whole long list that ends with love your neighbor as yourself. This has implications that go everywhere. That this is what we were, done, we were made to do, to give honor to the Lord. And Peter gets that this doesn't make any sense because he himself has stumbled over this. Isaiah says, this is, so this is Peter just riffing on the Old Testament. From Isaiah 28, he says, Behold, I am the one who is laid in, or laid as a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, precious and cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste or in the Septuagint, it's put to shame. 
From Psalm 118, he gets this. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. From Isaiah 8, he gets this. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. And he will become your sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem that they may stumble upon it. Who do they say that I am, Peter? Well, they say you are the Christ. I'm going to build my church on you, the rock. Now, here's the other thing. I'm going to be uh, tortured and executed. They're coming for me basically right now. I'm going to be dead here in a week. And you're going to watch me humiliated and tortured and die in front of you. Yeah, that's never going to happen, Lord. Never, ever going to happen. Get behind me, Satan. How does Peter make that mistake? Because he's thinking worldly. He's thinking this ends in some worldly way that I have worked out. It can't possibly work this way. But the Lord's like, no. No, the way that, the way that you are created was, was, was to not only to give honor, but to receive honor. You want honor now, James and John? Oh, what would you like me to do for you? Well, could we sit at your right and left hand? <clears throat> Wrong answer. Wrong answer. You want to know how you get honor? Not this way. You get the honor that I give you when I give it to you in the new heavens and the new earth. You don't get honor from other people. You get honor from me. Isn't it great to know that the gospel frees us from trying to pursue honor from other people and instead gives us the honor that we are guaranteed to receive because God says he's going to give it to us because we're spiritual bricks? And not responsible for building our own house? The gospel frees us and saves us from pursuing worldly and inferior honor. So life is a series of contrasts. It is a contrast of our desires. It is a contrast of our identity. It is a contrast of our purpose. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for these words this morning. Thank you for Peter. Thank you that he uh, grew beyond where he was so that you could use him to bless us. In Christ's name, amen. So we come to this table, which is a, a table of contrasts.